0: Amen, amen. And it's so good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. You can clap again. And um, and I'm just so thankful for um, just the just the overwhelming um, picture you get in times and worship of what we have in front of us as uh, the followers of Jesus Christ. It's pretty encouraging, isn't it? To uh, to come out of all of the craziness of our world and just to enter in and. And I think sometimes God wants us just to get lost in his holiness. And, uh, you know, I had a few moments this week where, you know, just so distinctly, uh, in a time with the Lord, just a sense of God's holiness and... And just to be overwhelmed in that, and I mean, we want to lead our church towards that again and again. Not just, um, not not just in our times of worship, but as we sit under God's word, in our in our fellowship with one another, in the ways that we approach God individually. Um, that's that's our heart. And uh, listen, I'm thankful so much, so thankful for our church. Whether you're uh, here in this worship uh, center this morning or uh, joining us online, um, we're just thankful and. Uh, uh, you know, as I lead from the position that I lead from, um, I just see again and again uh, the picture and the ways that God is working. I see all the tensions. I see a lot of the blessings. It's just a it's just a joy. And um, you know, uh, I shared this last week, and uh, you know what we're doing in, in this, this week and next week is kind of taking a break from uh, the Sermon on the Mount because we just really want to we really want to cast future vision. Uh, future vision for this church. And uh, we've sensed a need to to just listen carefully to God and and what he's been doing in our church to evaluate carefully with wisdom and really uh, just to recalibrate. And uh, sometimes I think we we can just go after the next thing and sometimes the people of God in a local context need to come back around uh, some of the key aspects of the vision of the church and just have a little bit of a check up. And uh, and some of the things as we've been processing over the past few months has been um, the sort of things that we just feel like we just need to kind of just refocus our aim a bit and, and maybe even bring some clarity that we don't feel like has been there even since the church was launched. And uh, you'll understand that more as we go this morning. And we want to make necessary adjustments to guide us forward to to strengthen our focus on the mission. It's so easy in our world to be distracted by so many things, not just individually, but also corporately. And so uh, today I'm praying that as God leads us from his word, that we'd see a vision of of a picture of, of God giving vision for the local church and then see some of the ways that that's going to play out in the context of our church. And so before we jump in, uh, let me just pray for us. God, thank you for... Um, just a a time before your throne, just to consider your holiness, and uh, God, we are not deserving of even being able to enter into your throne, and um, God, I think there is, a, um, there is a heaviness, a good heaviness on my heart this morning in regards just to my gratitude for that, and uh, God, I feel so undeserving of so many things that you have blessed me with, and I feel the tentativeness of some of those regarding the reality of sin and brokenness. And so, God, in those places, I pray that you would, where there is insufficiency, where there is a lack, where there is even a sin in our lives, I pray that you would let us see clearly uh, your holiness, yes, God, that would bring conviction, but also your mercy that bridges the gap between your holiness and our brokenness. And in the beauty of that, God, I pray that we would rest and that we would refocus our hearts on what you have not just given us in salvation but called us to in mission and in that God I pray and ask that you would lead us this morning it's in Jesus name and all God's people said amen Amen. Uh, listen vision anytime you use that word it's a tricky word Um, vision is particularly when used in the context of the church um, in the business world, a vision uh, serves to sort of focus attention and produce energy to accomplish sort of specific goals to fulfill a purpose. But but God really uses this word, and and um and he and the spirit of this word is seen throughout Scripture. Proverbs 29.18 says really clearly, where there is no prophetic vision or, or coming underneath what God's word says with clarity, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So there's blessedness when the, the people of God at any point in any season in redemptive history, extending all the way into uh, even the age we set in, in the church age, there is a prophetic vision where people uh, that, that are claiming to be followers of God are saying, I want to just live my life in line with God's word. I don't want to just know God, I want to live my life in line with his word. And so any vision that comes from any local church must be, this is a conviction we have, must be in line with God's word. The Old Testament prophets gave vision. In the Gospels, Jesus gave vision of the kingdom of God. The whole Sermon on the Mount is just a vision of the kingdom. And that's why we've called the the series In Sermon on the Mount Kingdom culture. But God gave vision to Paul and Peter and Ananias in the very beginning as the church was being launched and advanced. And then in Paul's letters to the churches, again and again he gives prophetic vision. Prophetic vision for the church. Vision that springs from a, a longing and a desire to align the followers of Christ with the way of Christ. And what it does is it, is it, gives, it gives a group of people congregated together to follow God. It gives them purpose. It, it, it serves to maintain unity. It, it, it aligns the people of God to fulfill God's mission. So before talking about any sort of future vision for Christchurch, Church, which if you're expecting something super new, you're going to be disappointed. It's really just a sharpening of and reminding us of our focus. And there's a few things that we feel like particularly have needed to be sharpened. But before we get into that, I want you to see how Paul communicates vision to the church in Corinth and this vision is this vision and many other places like it in God's word is what is really called us to to clarify vision again and again for our church and it inspires our vision because we want our vision to be in line with God's word what we're simply doing church is we want to again and again focus the attention of our church on on this on this gospel vision in this season of time in west michigan in our church so we want it to be biblical and come out of God's word, but we want it to be within the context of West Michigan and our church. We're, we're here to serve the people of our church and here to try to reach our area. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 9. As you turn there, I want you to be reminded, if you don't know already, the context of this letter. This letter. It's Paul's second letter um, to, the, uh, to the church in Corinth. In chapter 5, what Paul has done before at the beginning is he's addressing the believers longing for heaven. And we, we love talking about that. When you, when you think about the, the words we were singing about God's holiness, I'm just like, man, I just can't wait to be there before the throne of God. The longer I live in this world, the more I long for that. And Paul addresses the believer's longing for heaven because of the brokenness of this world. Then, on the foundation of that security in Christ and the hope for heaven, he turns their attention back to the present in verse 6. Look with me before we jump into our passage. Look, starting in verse 6. So because of this foundation, we are always of good courage We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And so in that, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. He can tell how much we need courage in this world. Can you see the theme there? And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Yes, that's our longing. But then in verse 9, he starts to unpack a present day vision for the church of Jesus Christ that comes out of the truth of the gospel. Look what it says, starting in verse 9. And as I read 9 through 15, I want you to notice in your Bible all of the places where Paul uses the word, we. This is not for Paul this is not just for a select group of people. This is for the entire body of Christ that he's addressing here. It could be you or me, faith in Jesus, sitting in a church in Corinth, same call today. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. There's a countercultural statement. But for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. The big idea this morning, quite simply, that runs in and through the current of everything that we want to put in front of our church now and into the future is this we aim to please the Lord. We aim to please the Lord. Um, FYI, none of you are going to stand before any other person when you get to heaven. You're going to stand before the Lord. And, and, And so why do we aim to please the Lord? It says it right in verse 10. It's because it's clear from verse 10 that our present day actions have eternal consequences. And I don't know about you, but because of the mercy and grace of God, this is actually an encouraging reality to me. Because of what I know about what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, I live with a good, healthy weight about the fact that my present day actions have eternal consequences. Both in the manner of my life individually and in the way I want to lead our church corporately. Before being aligned horizontally with other people in the church, we must first be aligned vertically with God because we're going to be judged for our actions. And so let's look at what Paul calls the church to live out. And I'm just going to highlight this and I'm going to unpack a half of sort of a vision frame for our church moving forward. Here it is. First, um, four critical qualities of every church's vision. Look at what Paul calls the church to live out. First quality. First quality out of verse 11, convincing people to follow Christ. That has to be a part of a vision for any church. And it comes because we know the fear of the Lord. Now we say this all the time in our church, fear here in this or fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. Like when you chase your kids around the house and they're like, "Ah," because you jump around a corner. It's not that sort of fear. Fear is an awe, it is a respect, and a desire to honor God. This is what leads Christians then to persuade others to follow Christ. It's a desire to honor Him and represent Him. Persuade here simply means to attempt to cause somebody to adopt a certain position, belief, or course of action through our actions as a church, like what we want is we want to lead you to know and experience more than anything else. We want you to know and experience the the beauty and the power and the love and the majesty of the person of Jesus Christ. That is the starting point for all mission. That's the starting point for all ministry. Anything that extends out of the church of Jesus Christ needs to have at its center this blazing passion to worship God. And, and, and that's central. And then out of that, we want every disciple of Christ to call other people to follow Christ in every aspect of their life. But, this, but the predominant motivation comes out of a fear of the Lord. You, you could say there, really simply, you could say, therefore, knowing what it means to authentically worship God in every part of my life, we persuade others. That'd be an appropriate picture of what it's saying there and knowing the fear of the Lord. And so the first critical quality of a biblical vision for any church needs to be convincing people to follow Christ. That comes from this, this beautiful spirit empowered worship before God. Then second the second quality. It has to be concerned with heart transformation. Notice Paul here has happens a lot with Paul. He's always dealing with people who are critical of his ministry. If you read through and you know that background reality, you can understand a lot of the things that Paul writes in his letters to the churches. He's getting attacked from all sides all the time. It's a reality oftentimes in ministry that some aren't aware of until they're in it. Um, In this verse, Paul addresses critics who were looking to his outward appearance or spiritual experiences to prove or validate healthy ministry. So they were like, hey, well, well, Paul, we're we're not seeing some of the things we think we should see. We're looking at the outward appearance and we're like, you're not really that impressive, Paul. That's what Paul was facing. But Paul makes it clear here. He says, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Christ-centered ministry, when, it's, when you're living in it, when you're leading in it, when you're experiencing the blessing of it, is primarily concerned with heart transformation. This is where sometimes as I both parent and minister to other parents, I see the tension of this in parenting. That sometimes you're just like, please, I just really want outward obedience. Please, just once. Just once. Please, once. Today. Outward obedience. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is heart transformation. Because gospel ministry, it doesn't, it doesn't go through the motions the gospel life is not, is not a life where you try to fake it until you make it. Gospel ministry transforms the heart first. It's changed from the inside out. And so a compelling center of of what we cannot let go of in our church, and I promise you, if you sat with the leaders of our church at the center of so many things that weigh heavy on us, is that we cannot be satisfied with disciples going through the motions or passively checking off the list. It's not pleasing to the Lord. The second critical quality of biblical vision for any church is to be concerned with heart transformation. Then thirdly, this. It it must be compelled by the love of Christ. I love verse 13. I, I could have easily, with great passion, just preached a message about verse 13. Paul's describing here and giving you a glimpse into his heart and his his, his position before God and ministry, he's bringing you right into the reality of it. And he's like, he's describing how dramatic and supernatural and overwhelming both the work of God has been in his life and then applying it to how he then engages other people in the context of the church. That's what he's saying here. He's, this word beside ourselves, when he uses that reference in verse 13, that's a reference to being afflicted with mental derangement and not behaving responsibly. And suddenly I have a description of lots of parts of my life. Kidding, kidding. Beside ourselves, though, he's alluding to the fact that this is how your life should look. This is a picture of what it should look like when you've encountered a God who loved you before the foundation of the world. Like, there should be an aspect of you're just like, I'm beside myself. But notice what he says here. He says, if, for we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. He's saying here that, that, that what's happening in his own life is as he reflects on the love of Christ, he's like, it should kind of make you crazy. It, should, it, it can't be something that you put in a compartment. You can't have like all these compartments of your life and then be like, oh yeah, I kind of got Jesus over here. You don't have the Jesus of the Bible in a compartment. He doesn't go there. He's like, no, 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 you cannot do that to me. You must diminish Christ and his glory to put him in a compartment. He's like, no, 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 I'm beside myself. Like I can't not stop thinking about the realities of what this means and then he's like, this makes me ecstatic, I'm overflowing with joy and then he goes, but then he says, but when I turn to others to serve and to love them, should operate out of your right mind. It should have some sense of sober-mindedness to it. It should have some sense of development and maturity to it. And this is our experience as the followers of Christ in the local church because then look what he says. He says, okay, that, for if we're in our... If we beside ourselves, is for God. If we are in our right mind, is for you. Four, here's the reason why this is supposed to play out that way. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. And, and, and that's, that's what sort of hymns us in and drives us forward. So let me encourage you that part of the vision of what we're longing for and praying for, and this is a Holy Spirit-empowered reality. I cannot produce this. I can, I, can, I can share with you authentically about the realities of the way this plays out in my life. I can give you illustrations from people in our church. But your individual experience before the Lord is something that you've got to enter into by faith dependent on the Spirit of God to breathe life into it. In your time with Jesus, in prayer, and the word, our goal should be that the result of that, not equal all the time, but that we would be beside ourselves. When you worship God and focus on him alone, beside yourself. When using your gifts to serve one another, out of love for Christ that controls us, but in your right mind, think carefully through it. When, when, when loving others in your right mind... The third critical quality of biblical vision for any church is to be compelled by the love of Christ, final quality, convicted to live out the gospel, convicted to live out the gospel. The second half of verse 14 starts, because, so for the love of Christ controls us, and then he's connecting another piece together in this as he unpacks this, and he's like, because we have concluded this. Now hold on just a second because you've you got to understand what, the, what, what Paul's saying here. He's like, he's like, "Listen listen, listen, we have concluded, which means it's been written. It means it is finished. It means the final period on the story has been put on it. I declaring you to you confidently what we believe. It's not up for debate. Yes, I might still wrestle with moments of doubt in my fallenness. I might still experience the consequences and reality of sin, but the predominant message from my life is that I've concluded some things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I'm walking by faith in what Christ has done. He's concluded some things. My question to you is, what have you concluded about the gospel? Notice the foundational parts of the gospel in this declaration. This verse 15, into 14 and 15 comes. You can see them one right after another. Let me just highlight them. First, Jesus has died for all. That one had, has died for all. His death had a purpose to forgive and redeem and reconcile my life to God. By faith, you conclude that Jesus died for you. Then second, he says it twice in here that one has died for all. And then he says, therefore, all have died. And then verse 15, in case we forgot it, and he died for all. And so he repeats that again because of the importance of that central first one. But the second one here is simply this, Jesus calls you to die. When Jesus says, therefore all have died, listen, that phrase right there does not allow you cheap grace. It's not like I can still benefit from all of the realities of what Jesus Christ has offered me and I can still kind of do whatever I want. The 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 call to Christ, the reality of the gospel, is always when I say, "By faith, I've put my my life under the authority and the reality of what Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is, and what He said, and what He's called me to do." It always is a move to the cross for the individual that says that, for it to be authentic. When you put your faith in Christ, you must die. You must die to sin. You must die to self. And it's a decision at one point, and then there's a lot of work and living that out. And this is so key because this again is just another picture of Good Friday and Easter because resurrection only comes after death. And so if you're like, why am I not experiencing resurrection power? Why am I not experiencing resurrection joy? It's because resurrection only comes after death. By faith you conclude that Jesus calls you to die. And then to live for Christ to live for Christ, he sets up the picture of what it means to live in the resurrection of Christ. And he says it there in 15, look at it, it's so beautiful. And, and sometimes there's just, there's just ways that Paul says things that are like, they're, they're just so, they're so countercultural that I think when we read them rightly, they should captivate us. Like, God, I want that right now in our world. I want that in my life right now. I want that in my home and in my marriage and in our church. When he says that those who live in and out of the resurrection after death, God brings life, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's life modeled after what Christ did. For your sake, Christ died and was raised. He calls us to this, this dying to, to, to sin and self. He calls us to this because he's like, there is something so much more compelling to live for than for self or for sin. He's like, there's something so much more compelling than that. By faith, you conclude that your life is to be lived for Christ, convicted to live out the gospel. Have you concluded Jesus has died for all. Jesus calls you to die, live for Christ. We aim to please the Lord, amen? That's a heartbeat. Convincing people to follow Christ, concerned with heart transformation, compelled by the love of Christ, convicted to live out the gospel. Now, out of that... That vision that you see, not just here in 2 Corinthians, but it is woven throughout the whole redemptive story of the Bible in which um, you're holding right now. And you see it throughout, and it just is places where it kind of comes out and it's really, really clear. You see it in the Gospels especially. You see it in Paul's writings throughout it. And I want you to know that every motive for the future vision of Christ Church the things that are that are clearer and the things that we've concluded but also the things we're still working out all of it is 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 born out of passages like this in 2 Corinthians and many others spread throughout the word of God and we want a church that will not relent not in trying to stand up and puff our chest out about, about the truth of God in, in the face of the culture in a way that makes us look mm, less than peaceful. We simply wanna be a church that's, that's, because of the fear of God, because of the awe and the beauty and the power of what he's done in our lives, that we want to strive and struggle and long and pray to fulfill God's heart and his word in exactly what he's called us to. Nothing less, nothing more. And our leadership has discerned that our plan to fulfill this biblical vision for the church needs, has needed, and will continue to need a season of sharpening. Um, Like I said a number of months ago, um, when our church launched, it just grew really fast. And, um, that can seem to be a blessing on the outside, maybe. Um, On the inside, sometimes it's just not. And um, in the beginning of our church, too often what we've we've done is we've done uh, what we thought we had to. And there were a lot of things on that list of things that we had to. And so as we apply this now to our church's vision... I want you to know that when we started and launched as a church, I was a pastor and my background in church was, was leading as an associate pastor to a church of over 10,000 people in Chicago. In addition, we planted our church out of a church that had over 2,500 people. And in churches like that, there's a lot of ministries and there's a lot of church activities going on. On top of that, people came to our church from a variety of church backgrounds, some who hadn't been in church for a long time and their only knowledge of church was like when they were little, but some coming to, coming to faith in our church, some coming to our church from other contexts. And when people come from different backgrounds, they bring lots of expectations, okay? Just turn to your neighbor and be like, you bring lots of expectations. And so basically what we did in the beginning as we thought about vision of our church, we, we ran at a lot of good church things without a clear vision for ministry. And, and honestly, there were great things that God did in that. And so many of you could probably think of different moments and different things that have played out of our church that you were like, that was awesome. And some of you are like, why don't we do that anymore? Because that was awesome. And some of us were like, that wasn't that awesome. Don't ever do that again. And welcome to church leadership. It's a mixed bag. And what happened in the midst of that without clarity is it caused confusion at times. It caused confusion in communication. It um, honestly stressed and exhausted our staff at times. And there were breaking points that some of you could see and some of you maybe not so much. Frankly, we we weren't as effective as we felt like we could be, and we weren't as healthy as we thought we could be. And so we came to the conclusion that we needed to, starting last fall, really started in the summer, we needed to clarify how we are going to make disciples at Christ Church. What does that actually mean? And not borrowing from a model from another church. All of you deserve better than that. How are we called in this context to make disciples? Not trying to do every, everything just to please everyone. Not just assuming what has always happened must continue. But we're driven by this question. What is the best way to make disciples at Christ Church now and into the future? We knew that the vision could not be uh, focused on the gathering of disciples or the quantity of disciples. Nothing about the number of people at our church gives our leadership, and I can definitely speak for me and go, it does not give me any sense of satisfaction or I've arrived or any of that. I know that the flourishing of a disciple comes from the quality of discipleship. Not from gathering together with other believers, not necessarily, not unless there's a quality element. So after a long process of discussion with our church leadership, listening to people in our church, carefully studying the word of God, we've really finalized some a vision for our church that then still needs some word but we finalized a vision around a vision frame that will sort of guide the focus of our church moving forward. And there's sort of a vision frame, has four sides to it. And and so we're going to talk about two this week and two next week after I teach again out of the remainder of this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. So some of this this morning is going to be simply a reminder and one aspect of sharpening. So let's look at it together. First, Mission. First mission. What are we doing? What are we doing? Why do we exist? And it's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask sometimes in your relationships. It's a good question to ask sometimes in your work, in your parenting, in all aspects of your life. What are we doing? Well, here it is for us. We exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. It's the burning center. It drives us. What are we doing? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's nothing changing here. Nothing changing here. We sharpen this with more clarity a year ago, communicate it to our church. What we're focusing on is more intentionally fulfilling this mission. We're not trying to build a bigger church. We are trying uh, uh, to make disciples. We are not trying to meet everyone's relational needs. That will put us in a posture that will burn every one of our staff out and a lot of our leaders. We're not doing things because another church does it. One focus, how are we specifically called to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples? One focus Love God, love others, make disciples. We want everything about our church as we think through it and process over even these coming months after this sort of uh, frame has been formed of of how is our church reinforcing making disciples? Disciples who are committed to following Jesus Christ completely and totally. Because guess what, church? We're not really interested. Um, Churches are closing all the time because what they've done is they've simply internally become as i've seen over and over again they become social clubs with a church name or they become a religious organization just for the sake of meeting just going through the motions we want to be a group of people serving together with great affection for one another to accomplish a mission given by the son of god and the question here is are we really focused on the mission and we are driven by this question it's what gets us up. The leadership of our church is what gets us up out of bed in the morning. It's what excites us about our gathering together in every way. So that's the first one is the mission. And, and so I, I pray that you would be compelled by that and energized by that. Then motives. Why are we doing it? These are, are shared convictions that guide the actions and reveal the strengths of the church. These are up on our wall, right out there. There's six of these motives, and, and, um, and I want you to see them. And what we've done in this season is we've given sort of a, a personal definition to them because here's what we want. We want you to own them. We want these not just to be the motives of our church. We want these to be the personal motives of your life. So look at these with me. And these come out of this desire uh, to please the Lord that we saw in 2 Corinthians. First, bold preaching. Second Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's the statement for you and for me. Bring your life under the authority of God's word for spirit-led transformation. If you guys are copying these down furiously, I love your heart. Um, we are going to put this together in a really sweet handout next week for you with the whole thing, Okay? Relax your wrists, sit back and enjoy. Um, bold preaching. Second, passionate worship. Um, Psalm 95.6, oh come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. This is to encounter the wonder and worth of God and exalt him with your entire life. Can you not see that from the passage we just studied? Passionate worship, fervent prayer. Romans 12.12, 12, be constant in prayer. Align your life to God's presence, power, and purposes by speaking and listening to him. Captures the spirit of prayer, even as we think about what we've studied recently. Courageous evangelism. Ephesians 6, 19-20. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's prayer request really embody and proclaim God's redemption to the broken and lost world this has to be a motive in our hearts with the gospel five purposeful discipleship first Thessalonians 2 8 so being affectionately desirous of you we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but also our own selves it's oriented in relationship and it's purposeful because you become very dear to us Learn and follow God's ways to fulfill his mission with his people. This thing is not individual. So this people, which makes it messy, yes, but also makes it glorious because of the opportunity. Then finally this one, uh, strategic multiplication. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Extend the gospel through the healthy multiplication of disciples. Now, you'll notice, this one has been a bit sharpened. On our wall right now, we're going to change it over the next a few weeks, um, it was strategic church planting, now strategic multiplication. I want you to know that there is nothing that's changed about our heart to plant churches. But God's got to do some things in that that is just beyond our ability to sort of control or even come under or even individualize that for everybody in the church. See, church planting oftentimes will only involve maybe a select group of people in a church. However, strategic multiplication is a motive that leads to churches being planted. Disciples multiplying themselves in other disciples. Strategic multiplication is for everyone. It's the base motive that we saw was a disconnect that leads to churches being planted and a lot of other fruitful things, because it starts in the household. It is parents with children. That's where that's where mission starts. Then multiplication through the discipleship ministries for, for within the context of the church and 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 children and students and adults and. In our church, uh, primarily community group leaders being multiplied through strategic training. I'm so encouraged that um, as, as Dylan's been working to sort of reorganize and reframe our focus in community groups, we have a training for potential community group leaders this weekend that's just unbelievable response. I mean, we have over 25 people signed up for that. You could still sign up for it if you're interested. Community groups that need to be ready to to have a vision for multiplying, compelled by the love of Christ, desiring to die to self and be concerned with others that are waiting to get involved in life-giving community. Leaders multiplied to be deacons and elders, and, and eventually, Lord willing, even ministry staff in our church. More Christians in our church zealous to make disciples. We want that focus. And this is sort of next generation stuff like without, without question, there is a heart and a desire that we would be on the front edges of calling our people to making disciples in children's ministry and student ministries, handing the baton on a next generation vision, longing to multiply. And when that happens, you have planted the seeds for churches to be planted. And so... Everyone might not be a part of a church plan, but everyone is called by God to have a strategy for multiplying their lives into other people's lives. Amen? And that is not a church leadership thing. That is an all disciples of Christ call. And so these are our mission and motives. This is the first part of the frame. Uh, Next week we'll talk, as you can see on the screen, uh, we'll talk about um, map and marks. And hopefully, you're asking this question this morning how do I engage? Well, let me give you some moves, and I'll be even more specific next week. First, if you have not yet, the first step in engaging in any church's vision that's rooted and comes out of God's word is to put your faith in Christ. And my encouragement to you this morning is have you concluded? Have you concluded? Have you danced around the realities of Christ? Have you been involved in the church but never concluded that this is the God that I'm submitting my entire life to now and into the future? And if you have not, I would encourage you to consider that. You could put your faith in Christ right now. So many leaders would love to talk to you about that if you want to know what that looks like and what that means. Second, get baptized if you have not. That's a central part of that of the, of the mission of our church is to see people come to faith in Christ and then be baptized as a public declaration of their faith. Next Sunday, I, so sometimes you just can't time these things out perfectly, but sometimes God just does. But next Sunday, March 26th, during the second service, um, Pastor Jeremy is going to be teaching our baptism class. There's no reason you should wait. If that doesn't happen in your life, get to that class. Take your next step at our church to engage into the mission and and own the motives along with us and then reflect on these mission and motives. How can you participate more consistently in the mission? How can you align your life with the motives? More specifics on this next week, but I just want you, I want you to reflect and pray, because listen, I, I can I can believe these things, I can make the connection to God's word and see them, I can communicate them to our church and we can strive to live them out, but it will not be embodied in our church until there is a until there is a unified desire that the Spirit of God would bore these things into our souls and that we would embody them and live them out. Another question that's come up in this process is, is anything changing about our church because of this vision? I want you to know that there's nothing that's changed to our doctrine or our foundational beliefs in this season. We're sharpening our focus. We're going to say no to a lot of good things that we've said yes to in the past to be more effective at serving all of you in the main priorities. And for where that is lacked or where that has not been clear, I want you to know that we feel that and we apologize for that. But our heart and desire is to sharpen that. We're going we're to move more slowly and carefully to build the plan. And, I'm, and I know that some of my pace and some of my heart and passion has not led us well in that. And so this gear might feel different to a lot of people in our church. But we want to develop structure and processes to really focus on the mission for Christ Church, to communicate clearly, and to do all of it in a healthier and more God-honoring way. Isn't that? Wouldn't that be the heart of all of us? And, and the Church of Jesus Christ has, for too long, particularly in our world, gotten complicated and run after all these different things, oftentimes, I believe, with a, with a wrong motive of pleasing people. And we just want to be more simple and focused. And so that's going to look a specific way and we're all going to have to adjust to that. I'm adjusting to that. Um, Next week, we're going to work through the passage and go through the second part of the vision frame. But before I close, in the midst of this process, um, God has has sort of brought an opportunity in front of our church that um, is really an exciting opportunity that I think as we process and as we think more um, clearly in the future that we want to consider some of these things that might bring... um Uh, these really concentrated opportunities to sort of learn and grow together. And I'm gonna talk about some of these next week, but there's an awesome opportunity coming that, that we're gonna have in our church at the end of April into early May to advance really the mission and motives of our church through what we believe is gonna be a really concentrated time of ministry where we believe the Spirit of God is gonna do some awesome things in our church body. And we're hosting... Um, uh, Some of you may know about the ministry Life Action, which they host conferences at churches. And we're going to have them into our church uh, to host a, a summit conference here. And so just check out this video to learn more. Hi, I'm Shane Black with Life Action. In just a few short weeks, your church will be hosting a Life Action event. And you might be asking, what is this all about? Life action events are a dedicated time of seeking the Lord together. It's a time for your whole church community to have a shared experience around God's Word, worshiping together and praying in faith for the Holy Spirit to move. It's when every member of your family, even kids and teens, can have an unforgettable encounter with God. It's about saying yes to God and putting our lives into action for Him. We hope you'll be a part of these days as we seek the Lord together. So, so, so here's some of the things that's coming with this summit conference. Um, there's gonna be an email coming out this week with lots of info and uh, what Life Action does is they send a primary leader and his wife along with a team of over 20 college students to host this conference. So think about the opportunity that that's gonna be for our church. They're coming to lead multiple services throughout the week. Sort of think like a week of revival just in our church and a, a week of focus. There's gonna be things for adults and for students and for children throughout the week there's going to be services for the whole family like normal, but they're going to be leading that on Sunday morning and in the evening, Sunday through Thursday, they're hosting a women's event and a time on Saturday for families to rally together. And what we're doing and what I want you to do is to ask God to bring revival during this Life Action Summit Conference. And 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 as we work in partnership with them, uh, we are asking that this concentrated time of ministry would be a catalyst for us to live out. more deeply the things that I've talked about today and to bring our lives before the Lord in that way. And so uh, be praying for that. Get the dates blocked out in your calendar, April 30th through May 7th. And so as I just conclude this time, I just want you to know how thankful I am for, for God's work, his mercy towards us in our church. And I want to pray not just for this time that's coming up, and we want to start praying for that, but also uh, just that we would aim to please the Lord in all that we do as we think about what we've considered this morning. So would you pray with me? God, I, um, I thank you for... Um, the work that you've done in and through our church I think I'm thankful for a group of people around me that have uh, steadily encouraged me have has, has been open and humble enough to acknowledge our weaknesses but has uh, the strength of commitment and the desire to aim to please the lord in all things so god i'm asking that you would begin to work into our church not just a cerebral understanding in our minds about mission and motives but god that out of our desire to please you out of our desire to 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 recognize your word on all of these realities to convince people to follow christ to be concerned with heart transformation to be compelled by the love of christ and to be convicted to live out the gospel. God, this is is a mission worth living for. I pray you'd align us that we would be the church you've called us to be, not another church, but our church and what you've given us the responsibility to steward with our lives, not just independently, but then together in community. Would you work in that, God? And Father, where there's weaknesses in this, and there are many, God, would you give us the focus to stay on those things? some of the things that we see now and some of the things that we don't. Thank you for the wisdom of the leaders. Thank you for the generosity of our people to share both strengths and weaknesses that have helped guide us forward. God, out of all of this, we're not asking for a quantity of disciples, we're asking for a quality of discipleship. And we pray that the people that would be drawn to our church, drawn into community with us, would not be compelled by the excitement about christ church but would be compelled by the fact that the love of christ controls us and we want them and and even our own lives to walk more richly in the love of christ to experience the fear of the lord and and have clear focus on what you've called us to do so god in this i pray that you would lead us and guide us thank you god for your love Thank you for your mission. We thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.